I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. The Future of Mobility Podcast is focused on the pursuit of safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible transportation of goods and people. Given the critical nature of the world's climate and energy needs, these topics have never been more important, and they're certainly important to me. So, this podcast is a weekly interview series in which I learn from and put the spotlight on the people helping to develop and implement the technology required to move us forward. Who am I? As mentioned, my name is Brandon Bartnick, and I'm an engineer who realized that making a positive impact is the most important thing to me, both through this podcast and my career in the industry. If you're passionate about any of the topics I cover here, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to connect. Also, if you hear anything you like, please consider sharing the future mobility with a friend or colleague. This podcast is brought to you by FEV. FEV is a global engineering and strategy consulting firm developing sustainable solutions and supporting our partners as we collectively strive to meet global mobility and energy needs. We're the engineers behind much of the technology you see throughout the mobility sector, including all forms of on-road transportation, rail, marine, aviation, off-highway equipment, heavy machinery, and more. If you're developing innovative and sustainable mobility solutions, we're there to help. Today we have two guests, Frank Heininger and Evan Licht, talking about marine electrification and the great work that they are doing at Halavai. Super interesting conversation. So first, the two guests, Frank and Evan. Really cool backgrounds, cool guys. I think uh, great storytellers, interesting hearing how they're approaching this, how they came together. Not the two individuals necessarily I would expect to have started this company, Halavai, coming into the conversation. After hearing them talk, it makes a lot more sense. But Frank comes from concert promotion, event promotion, international brand licensing throughout the world, large-scale media production. Evan comes from leadership in several startups, so Elance, which became Upwork, SonicNet, which became the foundation for MTVI, and most recently as a founding partner and chief business development officer for Blade Urban Air Mobility. Really interesting. And I think this this topic, this area of electrification for especially recreational marine vessels, ton of potential, really interesting. And, and also the angle that these guys and what Halavai is taking as opposed to other, some of the others on the market is unique. They're thinking about it a little bit differently, and I really enjoyed hearing their thoughts about how they've come together and why they started the company and how they're approaching this. So I'll leave it there for now. Please enjoy this conversation with Frank Heidinger and Evan Licht. Today I'm joined by Frank Heidinger and Evan Licht. Guys, thank you for coming on. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, I think this, uh, so the electrified marine space, I, I think is, is super interesting and it's it's something people have been listening over the last few months. I've, I've been... Uh, so, so my focus has been a lot outside of the ground transportation space, especially passenger car type electrification, because I think, you know, de- decarbonization of these other sectors of, of transportation of mobility is critical. It's now enabled by technology that has been improved on the ground transportation side. And I think it's, it's super interesting to, to hear about how, how your company, Halavai, is, uh, is thinking about this and, and, and all that. So looking forward to this conversation. Before we dive in, maybe would you guys mind just giving some 30-second type um, background on, on yourself and uh, maybe, maybe Frank, if you want to start? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so thanks. We, so so my, my, my uh, professional career has gone through a few twists and turns about, right? Um, I started in, it was more of an entertainment focus. So on uh, it was, it was, it was hospitality based, but it was, it, it branched over into large scale production. So concert production, uh, gala production, and it took me around the world and I was able to see some really beautiful environments. And over the course of that career, those environments were changing. And so somewhere around 2011, I was walking down Grand Street in New York and I saw shark fins in the window of a specialty store and thought to myself, wow, there was this topic that when I was nine years old, I was so passionate about. And, and I had first learned about shark finning and um, they were still legal in the state of New York. And, and I could, really couldn't understand how my whole adult life had passed. And this, this, this product, which is really from a very evil process um, was still available. And so I started working in the context of 
uh, lobbying to have legislation changed in the state of New York, which ultimately happened. It was successful. There are great partners, a lot of great charities. Um, and we applied that same legislative principle to um, uh, several states on the Eastern Seaboard. And, and that was the start of my um, career path toward innovation and products that were going to protect the environment, but using a commercial practice as a way to engage people about what's possible for the future in the materials we choose, the products we, we wear and, and live in and help ha have us transport. Um, and so Holobi is sort of the back end of that process. Thanks. Yeah, so um, again, thanks for having us. Mine's not as romantic as that. I have been in the startup world for um, since the mid-90s uh, in all different types of capacities. And um, most recently was uh, at a company that was contributing actually to a, actually a, a large carbon output um, in, the, in the aviation business. But, but during that, the exposure of kind of the the um, electrification, if you will, of certain industries became quite fascinating and, and saw it, you know, firsthand in first micromobility uh, with bikes and mopeds and, and um, scooters and such. And then moving into aviation, uh, sorry, moving into auto, uh, the auto world and then um, ultimately aviation, which is still kind of going down. And the marine applications were, were kind of being ignored, right? And, and arguably one of the, the largest kind of polluters, if you will, um, from you know, the little tugboats or the little putt-putt you know, uh, boats up until the, the big you know, transatlantic uh, liners. So um, when, when Frank and I started kind of riffing off of the concept of, you know, the old cliche, there has to be a better way kind of thing, applying that whole mentality over to the Marine space with the, um, you know, a, 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 but truly in the startup sense, right? Like by every definition, we're a traditional startup of the, the trials and tribulations of how you build a business. And um, so the excitement of the, the new sector, if you will, um, and, and having the opportunity, it's very rare that you have the opportunity to be at the quote unquote forefront of that sector and that change. And so when we started chatting, the excitement level was just through the roof. And um, while we have different backgrounds, there's a, a massive commonality in kind of our approach to business and our sensibility about, um, you know, making, you know, the, the practices and the materials and such in the marine application um, you know, just, just a better solutions, right. So follow, follow, finding better solutions. So I think, uh, first, thank you both for, for that. I think interesting backgrounds coming together here. And I think a lot, a lot of follow-up questions potentially, but I, maybe first in, in your own words, could, could when you speak about to what is Halavai actually doing here? So we are building, uh, our goal is long-term to innovate and become a standard bearer for all of the material sourcing of every component in the boating space. We're focused on recreational boating at the moment uh, because it's a large segment that has been untouched. And it's, a, it's a lot of people uh, out there. Mm -hmm. So when Holobi was first formed, we were actually representing other electric boat manufacturers in communication strategy. And what we kept coming to was this, this wall in the relationship where there were no sales for those companies, even though they had built these beautiful technologies and these beautiful boats, I mean, they really are wonderful pieces of architectural, naval architecture, but they weren't selling them. And they weren't selling them because the price point was too high. It was all skewed towards luxury. And we see in, even in the car space that so many segments within the, with the mobility space are, are going towards these luxurious units. And we looked at the American market and noticed that there were 15 million recreational boats registered. There are about 150,000 new sales for boats under 30 feet. And 80,000 of those 150 were pontoons. That was the segment of boating. We call it pontoons or deck boats. They're recreational cruisers. Uh, these are boats that cost between seventy-five dollars and $150,000. Um, there are some higher price segments, but for the most part, it's in that range. And this is for families to get out on the water and enjoy their environment and have fun and, and spend the few weeks of downtime that they get on the water in a natural environment. And we thought that would probably be the place to start. Um, and so this is how we developed 
the concept of holobi. And so the, the goal was to first look at the propulsion mechanism and say, is the technology there? Is the price per kilowatt hour there currently to put enough power into a boat, house it safely and get people out on the water at a price that they can afford? Um, and the long-term goal is to look at what is the hull manufactured from? What is that? What is that laminate schedule and that specification? What are all the materials in the foam paddings and the vinyls? And looking at how innovation in material can we can really create a sort of boat of the future with at every level of material sourcing and supply chain. Yeah, and I think the the, the way you shape it makes makes sense, and I'm sure kind of looking back, it's it's. I don't know if it, there is this this market and everyone seems to follow, I think of it like the, the Tesla model, right? Where Tesla had success coming out with a super luxury electric vehicle, make it sexy, make it so people want to drive electrified passenger car vehicles. And then from that, they've been able to drop the price down price point with um, volume. And then now they're in, in the the more approachable segments in the, in the mass market. And I think as you, you guys are alluding to, yeah, it's generally how people by default tend to come into the into this electrification space. Um, I, I guess, based on the, the backgrounds that you guys have provided, I, I imagine this analysis was um, more robust than simply, "Hey, Pontu boats are exciting, and let's let's try the opposite of every, what everyone else is doing." Like, can Can you speak more and dig a little deeper on what actually you come in? I mean, with the entertainment background and with the um, aircraft and automotion type um, electrification startup background, what was the ultimate? set or the the possibility set of what you guys were considering when you came together and what did that process then look like to figure out hey it is electrification of of uh marine vessels and then this recreational segment and then yeah let's buck the trend and let's come in at the, the at scale for the pontoon boat yes yeah, so you know it, again going back to the just opportunity that sat in front of us right as we were developing these communication strategies for these ev boat companies we recognized that there was a void right and that there were so much firsts if you will in these conversations meaning you know anywhere from insurance for the boat or the the actual um, battery application in a boat on scale you know, all of these things were new conversations for a lot of these vendors. And going back to kind of like the aha moment, if you will, for us was the incredible opportunity domestically, first and foremost, right, in the biggest sector. But to go back to the fact that the opportunity for us to come in and actually be a voice of a movement, right, because Holobi stands for a lot more than just how it's manifesting itself right now, which happens to be a boat. We're always, we're in the boat business. We need to sell boats or else our company fails. However, the messaging and the stance and the go-to-market is all about change and all about the betterment of the, the world, to be dramatic, in the practices and the materials. So the manner in which we approach this business is, yes, it manifests itself through a, a boat. Right. And we are going to build the most incredible pontoon deck boat, however it's classified. As we know, we took an opportunity to um, really uh, be aggressive with design. Right. This boat feels a lot more, um, uh, we use the word rich, that's probably the wrong word, but then, then it is in terms of the price point. The lines are unique. Um, it, is a, it is by fact and function. Uh, a deck slash pontoon boat, but you look at this and you will easily identify. We tried not to alienate people. So the point is, is that our wants for the company, as far as this movement, as this voice of better practices, utilizing materials and such, again, through this boat, we're going to, um, uh, the goal of the company was to make sure that we were able to articulate those points and the greater kind of uh, narrative of what we're trying to do for the people that aren't necessarily gonna buy the boats. So we wanted to just make sure that our communication is tight, our communication is broad and educational, and we can be that beacon of uh, and resource for people that are just interested in this movement. I, I wanna circle back to the design of the, the boat, cause I think you, you said something that I, uh, I wanna ask deeper, but the. I want to take a quick detour here of so 
purpose-driven company, which I think it's, at least in my own definition, it's, it's, it's uh, valid to say that that's, that's what you guys are coming here. It's really about this underlying objective of yeah, betterment of, of, of the world, broadly speaking, and then you can tune, tune that down. That is really why you guys are, are doing this. The, maybe the question I'd have is how, what you've learned along the way and, and how you're thinking about, because I think a lot of purely purpose-built companies try don't have this vision of, hey, let's, we need a way to make profit and actually fund these efforts that are going. Like we, we need to have a sustainable business in the sense that we need to have a product that sells, have margins coming in. We need to generate the funds that are going to allow us to then branch out and actually make the impact that we would like to see. Whereas the, the, maybe the more exciting thing coming into it is just dive into, hey, purpose, let's be a martyr and let's uh, kind of bootstrap all of this. And then I, I think those types of efforts tend to peter out. So can you speak on this point of how, I don't know, how, how you took this approach and what that actually, how, how it manifests, manifests itself? Yeah, so we are purpose-built, yes. And we do have some um, pretty high standards that we're asking every one of our, our, our uh, employees and, and developers and engineers to be part of this movement. But, 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 but we're not kidding anyone. This is a business. And we need to convert customers from a, tradition, from a space they've been in uh, to this newer, better space uh, that we're building. And so behind that, there's a lot of engineering and architecture, naval architecture. Um, you know, the first thing we want to dispel is it's not really a pontoon boat, right? It's, it looks like a pontoon boat from the air and it functions like a pontoon boat, but pontoons are aluminum tubes with not a lot of naval architecture built in that are sitting on a deck, that are sitting below a deck and they're, they're causing the, the deck to float. And then you put some horsepower on the back and it moves. Um, we have developed a trimaran semi-planing hull with a full range of naval architecture included. We've run lengthy computer models, the CFD and the flow dynamics. We've looked and at how can we create um, and reduce the limits of drag associated with uh, this particular type of movement over water and also allow us a place where we can store the adequate battery systems, carry the weights that are needed, uh, have the right balances, work into a range of environmental conditions like open water, like back channels, lakes, beaches, you know, we, pontoons don't, don't bear well in anything over a meter. You know, you get some wind and it starts to get rocky. We've designed a hull that allows for use within a wide range of these recreational spaces. Um, and within that, we've had to engineer an entire system for controlling the software engineering that goes into how the startup works, how the vehicle's controlled. So there's a, there's a lot of engineering behind what we're doing. So the end product is you get this really fun place to hang out on weekends and it's easy to operate. It operates at a lower cost. You never have to put fuel in it again. You don't have to deal with the environmental conditions of leaks and spills and leaching. Um, and this is all very good, but at the, at the core of it, there's a tremendous amount of engineering and planning that's gone into getting to a place where this boat comes together. Um, and it is a particularly interesting piece of equipment because it has all this technology built in, but it's running with the facade of like a very easy place to just get on board and have fun with your friends. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. And I, I, the, the, the business strategy, the, pro the product strategy, I guess what we're talking about here, uh, if I can summarize kind of what I'm hearing and I appreciate your thoughts on what, what I'm missing and maybe I do, but so it sounds like you didn't want to necessarily go the route of like the, a lot of the companies I, I think in the space that at least I'm familiar with are going the, the hydrofoil speed boat type route, which that clearly looks like something that's different than what my parents have who, who have a boat and boat on the weekends, right? Like that's, that's very mm -hmm. clearly an innovative, a technology step that someone is taking probably early on because they're an early adopter and they're excited about electrification, just like on the, on the passenger side, passenger car side, again, for the analogy, the early electric vehicles, people got them because they were electric vehicles and they, they wanted everyone to know. Now that's transitioned over time. We have mass, you, you wouldn't know driving down the street if it's an Audi e-tron or a Q5 or, or whatever it is. And so it sounds like you guys are taking the approach of, no, we're, we're not necessarily looking for those super early adopters who are going to be excited about the technology. We want them to think and have the experience that this is the typical pontoon boat that they're taking out for the weekend. And then you're kind of hiding all of the super cool engineering 
that yeah that maybe someone who really wants to go a layer deeper is going to get excited about this this cool work that you guys are doing on the the hull design and and the control strategy and all that type of stuff but it's it's also being approachable for the the mass market to come and want to buy your your product how, how, where, where am i off there what what am i missing in kind of the I, I don't think, I think we both agree. I don't think you're off at all. I mean, we, we took painstaking processes in trying to be deliberate in not alienating people. So, you know, when people are on our boat, it's just a cool looking boat. So we're not technically in there, but we're going to be lumped into that. And what we did was really wanted to make this a familiar experience, right? In the controls. And yeah, there's some sleekness that's added into it just because of the fact that it's a modern day boat. And, but it's not too far in from, you know, you, you can buy a, a traditional, you know, ice motored boat right now and you could get a sleek, you know, touchpad and all that kind of fun stuff. So the, the driving, the, the, the operational side of this thing um, was very deliberate where there is a lot. It's the iceberg effect, right? Where what you see um, is just a very easy to use boat, but all the engineering and the science behind it that, you know, is buried in the hole, so to speak, um, is, is, pretty, is pretty novel. So again, the, the, the point is that we went to great lengths not to um, make this a completely new learning experience for the boater. And uh, we think that we're on to the right track here and the manifestation of that is going to be very well received. And maybe that's, a, and this could be a redundant type, type question, but so we've talked a lot of, and I think the strategy makes a lot of sense. It's, it's well, definitely, it seems, it seems appealing to me. And I think primarily that we've talked about kind of supply side and how you guys are positioning what, what you think about the technology and the market and stuff. Can you speak to kind of demand side? Um, what, what have you heard from, customers in this space or to what extent has has market research and conversations with potential buyers played in and how are they receiving this uh product so far right so when when we look when we talk about change in a large change um in any industry there's there's a typical response with like a standard set of there's a standard response um is it safe you know and most people say well you know, do salt water or fresh water and batteries mix. And we're, we're reminded that every boat you've ever been on has a battery. Uh, in most cases, it's a low volt battery, but nonetheless, it's a battery. There's current, you have power systems, you have controls, you have radios, you have Bluetooth interfaces, you have nav, satellites, radios, et cetera. Uh, any sailing vessel you've been on has has battery system. And so we're, we're asked those standard safety questions and we have to acknowledge that in this transition until it becomes common until it becomes something that you see popping up on lakes around you and you get familiar with that there's going to be this standard sort of questions on the interface and operation it's really really easy so a lot of people will come in and say well well, well how does it operate and we'll show them that there's an interface that there's not a lot of moving parts on these systems, that they're actually quite simple and they're easy to maintain. And if you treat the system well, and what's also interesting is you get a whole range of data analytics, which you don't get in a normal boat riding experience. So if you want to go down the rabbit hole of how am I doing as a driver, we actually, we're not going the, the length of test of where we're going to rate you, but we're going to show you your data. We're going to show you where your max efficiencies are. We're going to show you when you're putting the battery under stress conditions. And so we're opening up a whole new narrative within the experience for where you can actually get some reports and data management and you can, you can troubleshoot problems before they happen, which is something that doesn't really exist in the voting world. You know, um, for anyone who's been a voter, they understand that when something goes wrong, they have to then bring the boat back, break it apart, start to troubleshoot it and figure it out. In, in our system, because we've put so much energy into the programming of the software and the way it reports, um, these systems can tell you if you're going to have a problem, they can troubleshoot, send alerts, emails, notifications, texts, however you choose to be notified. And so on the customer side, the feedback is like, wow, that's really impressive. That seems very interesting. It's, it's something that we've never been able to talk about when you're talking about recreational boating. You know, going out on the weekend is as simple as like putting the key in the ignition and going forward, going reverse, and hoping that you don't bump into anything along the way and cause too much damage. Like we're, we're really opening up a totally different um, discussion for what's possible at the recreational boating 
level. And so that's been a lot of the conversations we've had. As far as selling the product, we already have a queue of customers who have signed up for the boat. Um, for us, it's going to be a manufacturing challenge. We have limits to that in the first year or two years. Um, and we're prepared to expand that in year, late year two and, and year three, if you want to talk about that. Yeah, I, I think the the, the next steps. I mean, certainly, maybe maybe one one question before before we get there. So you, you mentioned well, it sounds like a lot of cool engineering have, has gone into this vehicle, and we've, we've touched on, on several different points here. How, how did have you thought so far about the the balance between developing this stuff in house, so bringing on board the the expertise who's going, the experts who are going to own build this stuff and have your own internal IP versus finding off the short off the shelf um, components from suppliers versus working with partners to develop this in, in parallel. Yeah, so it's, it's a combination of both. Um, a lot of it through just trials and tribulations and some you know, unexpected discovery. What we've chosen to do at these early stages of the company is really to kind of pick best of breed, right? It was incredibly important to us to first and foremost be built in America, right? So the components that we're building are all for domestic vendors. Um, the excitement aspect of it and the expertise that we need to marry some systems that aren't used to being married um, which has been, you know, uh, a challenge for us is um, uh, we're leaning on some external, but we have internal expertise to this. I mean, again, you know, we are, we, we, Frank's, you know, uh, a master diver. I've been on boats and seen the ocean. Um, and, you know, we don't profess to, you know, fully, you know, know the disciplines that are needed to build a, uh, a safe, high performing boat. And so we have been very fortunate in the relationships that we've created over the last year that we've been at this to bring some of that expertise in house um, and to work with, again, best of breed vendors that have the patience and the wanting to be at the forefront of this whole movement. Yeah, I'll, I'll make one additional note to that, which is that when when you do it in-house, there are going to be significant limits to the amount of power you can push out. Um, so the, the power at the propeller is limited because engineering and designing um, stern drives or outboards, there's, that's, that's an inc incredibly complex set of equipment. Whereas if you integrate existing systems and you create the connection points between those systems, and so we start to uh, create the molding that allows one system to operate with another system and you engineer those connection points rather than the entirety of the system from the start, you're able to get a way more high performance output. So where typically outboards have max out, out, output capacity of like 35 kilowatts, um, we are getting 75 to 150 kilowatt out, outputs into uh, at our prop. Um, and so we're able to get to horsepowers, which are in range with your typical use case, which is, you know, 90 to 250 horsepower, right? And so that makes a significant impact on how the how customers are going to interact with the product. Because one thing people don't want to do when they go electric, I mean, if, if there's going to be some sort of decarbonizing component to this equation, so we want to do better for the environment. We want to have fewer, fewer breaking parts. We want to have fewer fuel leaks and fuel oil pump leaks and things of that nature. They don't want to compromise their horsepower. They don't want to go from 125 Still horsepower. Still America. Yeah, they don't want to go from 125 horsepower to 50 horsepower. And so we've done two things. One, we've designed a hull that requires very little power to move efficiently. We've picked a battery system that is at the bottom end of the spectrum of weight. So there's a wide range, as you know, wide range of battery, battery types that you can choose, and they do range in weight. Um, so we've picked a battery system that is on the wider side overall. We've designed a hull which can move very efficiently um, through this, this and these environments. And then we've, we've engineered systems that allow to have more power at the propeller so the user experience is pretty much what you're used to, right? You're going you're gonna to see little kicks. There are differences in electric. You're going to see where the torques change, and, you, and, and it'll make you smile, just like it does in, in the other parts of the EV space, right? When you ask for power and it's there, you go, whoa, that's kind of cool. But at the same time, we're not compromising the overall experience. So we have to develop this in stages. 
creating systems that work together and then ultimately bringing that in-house is the plan. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think that's the, you, you mentioned the benefit of using kind of off the shelf components. And I think that makes a, a ton of sense, especially early on because you can get a, a very good system quickly, but you're always then living with the fact of, Hey, this motor, this, these power electronics, this, what, what, whatever the this isn't optimized perfectly for our system and our use case. So I don't know, maybe it's five, 10% or whatever, but the, then there's that, that added benefit of once you can bring that in house and actually develop um, systems and component or components for you. And maybe there's a, another little step function and improvement you can take. I'll make one note to that, which is that because of the price point in the segment that we're at, because we have such a large total addressable market, the partnerships we're creating with our vendors is scalable. So we have the built-in business model to be able to take on these engineering challenges early days because we know there's scale in the market. So when you're going to sell very few numbers of units, you have to be careful about where you engineer and how you engineer and how much money you spend. Whereas when you're looking at this in a partnership profile where we have our powertrain, our powertrain partners, uh, they have their engineers, we have our engineers, they work together on solutions. It's nice to know that we're able to do this at scale. Um, and, and, and so we're planning for that scale. And I think that's what's differentiating us from a lot of these these boats you're talking about, you know, which are higher price point, the hydrofoil technologies, these, these others, is that when you really look at their balance sheets at the end of the year, their potential to sell is low and their actual sales are even lower. Well, it's also, I mean, you know, what, what it lends itself to, again, is going back to kind of the familiarity, I can't say that word, um, in, in, the, in, in the space, right? Because like any novelty, and, and you could dub kind of the electrification of the marine applications, however they manifest themselves as a novelty at the moment. You know, you need those early adopters, not just the people who are saying, oh, that's cool. I want to have it bigger, better, best. I'm first. But the people that are utilizing something and it's almost like. So basically, the point is, is that our mission, right, together with the engineering marvels and, you know, the ability to scale and such is to not alienate people. You know, the, the hydrofoils and this and that, all great, wonderful companies not poo-pooing anything that they're driving towards. But that's an adoption, right? That's a, that's a different use case and it's a different mindset of the consumer. And so what we're trying to do is avail en masse active boaters, the ability to take advantage of these new systems, of these new technologies, and have it be the most seamless, right? Because the, the best innovation are ones that are advantageous to the consumer, but that are very kind of benign in the disruption phase of learning to understand and how to utilize those systems. And we are trying to create the cutting edge of technology, right? And the cutting edge of engineering, which we're accomplishing, but we're trying to present that in a manner that is not very intimidating to the consumer. Yeah, I think that that all makes makes sense. Maybe two two questions on that user ex experience. So the first one, maybe the obvious question that I'm sure you guys get get all the time is what what's what what's the benefit or what's the impact of electric range and how, how so what, how did you guys figure out how big this battery pack needs to be and what percentage of typical pontoon journeys that you're, you're accommodating with with this pack and charge times and all, all that type of stuff and then the other one is, is is noise so i think that's that's the most obvious thing that someone who steps into electric vehicle for the first time um realize that you, you don't have the roar of the engine which not not uh insignificant especially on on the waters with without all the nvh packaging that you have within a uh within a passenger car or on-road vehicle so could you, could you speak to those two points kind of the electrification yeah you're actually right so so it's 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 interesting. Our 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 first model um, we we dubbed the model twenty fifty um, initially because we really wanted to think about climate change in the context of the the UN policies that were COP twenty one, where they were looking at twenty fifty as this 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 really really important year where um, significant changes had to be made, right? And so that was sort of an inspiration behind. Um, I was present at COP21. It's it's meaningful to me personally. Um, and so although we're not an environmental company, we're looking at 
these goals of how do we change material? How do we change propulsion? How do we get things to, to, to be optimized and perform better for with, under these environmental capacities? However, we landed in a place where we said, what is this optimal speed? What is the speed that people want to travel at? What is this cruising speed? Now, granted, you go around America, you get very different answers, but we've landed at this place where like 20 miles an hour as a cruising speed it's like a really nice speed. You're moving. Um, can we go faster? Yes, All right. we have the ability to go faster. But 20, 20 miles an hour is sort of an optimal cruising speed. So we call our cruising speed 20. And then we said, well, based on the cruising speed of 20 miles an hour, we would like to accomplish 50 nautical miles of range at that speed, which means that if you just put the throttle on and continually ask for that consistent power, that for essentially two hours, um, you could have that speed at two for two hours. And that gets you about 50 nautical mile range. Now, again, in every youth case, and as you know, with, with, the, with the EV operational um, duty cycles, if you were operating your boat in the five no wake zone to 10, 12 mile an hour range, which is where a lot of it does really lie. A lot of people go very slow, especially out in lakes and waterways. Um, you can extend that range to over hundred nautical miles. But our use case was 2050. Let's get, let's get 20 miles per hour over a consistent 50 nautical mile range. That means if you put that throttle down, you ask for that power for 20 to, 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 to maintain 20 miles per hour, you're going to be able to go two hours at that speed, which is significant because a lot of the other ranges in the profile either have incredibly heavy battery packs. You know, they, these things go up over 100 kilowatt hour packs, 120. Um, and they can reach much higher top speeds, but they're, they're, they're far more expensive. So that, that's sort of the model that we used was to look at the average use case, look at the uh, outliers to that use case. Um, there are places, we looked at markets like Lake Havasu, for example, it, it, where, where there's the range covered in Lake Havasu is greater than most other lakes in the country. For some reason, there's just a, you know, there's like a 35 nautical mile range everyday use case in that, in that lake, where in most places it's 20. So we try to sort of extrapolate all that data and, and, and ask people what they wanted and then look at what was possible in batteries and weights and the price and the price per kilowatt hour. And, and we landed with this pack, which allows for, for this type of performance. So to, 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 to tag onto that a little bit, um, you know, the phrase is often used and we use it often. It's the use case, right? So our target right now are, are primarily, you know, intercoastals and lake communities um, and the, the manner in which most of these boaters are utilizing their time on the water, you know, a little bit of, of, of thrust at the beginning, tool around for some, shut it down, turn on the music, pop open the cooler, get the sandwiches, and just kind of have that hang time on the water, right? That's primarily what they're doing. And so the 50 nautical miles is, is massive and well within the range in which, you know, most of our core market utilize their boats currently. Yeah, yeah like we, did a use case, we did a use case for Newport, California, for example. Um, you know, there's a very, 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 very high level of traffic within the Newport Marina, but there's an awake zone. So people are going between five and seven miles an hour. Um, one of the reasons Duffy's been so successful there is because they don't go faster than five miles an hour, but that's kind of okay for most people in Newport. And so we were looking at, well, what if we were to apply our boat to this use case? Uh, you would get 200 nautical miles on a charge because you don't go that fast in, in those types of settings, in those backwaters, in that marina. So it really does depend on the person and, and, and their use. Um, weight isn't really a factor. So whether the, the boat has 10 people on it or one, um, the efficiencies don't really change so much. Um, you know, the range is not really so much, but, you know, it's important to note that in that type of an application, you may only charge once a week or mm -hmm. once every two or three weeks, depending on, you know, how often you go out. Um, there's a lot of range there. I mean, there are some people that don't do 200 nautical miles in a month or even a summer. You know, uh, in that type of a use case where you're in a no wake zone and you're just sort of out with friends and family and you, you find a beach or you take an anchor or you tie to a dock, you go visit a friend's home and you don't really ever hit top speeds over 10 knots, you're, you, may, you may not need to charge for an entire summer.
Um, but again, you go out, you want to run 35 miles in a day, you can do it and you can do it at a pretty good cruising speed. So what's cool is that that's where all the analytics come in, right? And if somebody wants to kind of geek out on their usage, right? And the manner in which the efficiencies or lack thereof based upon how they're, you know, you're, they're using the boat, um, all that data is available. So there's a, there could be a deep comprehension of the why, which is also important when we talk about kind of the general education of how batteries consume energy, right? Like it's a natural thing. People use their phones every single day. And my, my kids use case is different than my use case. And that's why they need to charge their battery every hour and mine lasts the entire day. It's the same concept here on the water, right? Where if you're just gunning it the entire time, you have a shorter lifespan. If you're, you know, going in and out, on and off, wake zones, no wake zones, whatever it might be, obviously there's an elongation of the battery life. And so from the consumer standpoint, the gamification, if you will, of this to see the, the limits in which they can test and what happens if I do this, what happens if I do that is something that we're excited to offer up. Cool. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of good info and maybe two, two things I'd quickly highlight in, in, in a question. So the one and I keep bringing back to the analogy of, of, of on-road. So I have a plug-in hybrid vehicle, about 25-mile range or, or so is what I get. And I, I can tell you on roads, especially public roads, there's nothing I can do to get that past 30, let alone 50 or 100, Because part, partly because of the dynamics of the traffic environment around me. Partly, and I'm, the, the physics, it's, it's been a little while since I've been in college, but my, the, the way I think about it, I think we lose a lot of the energy while driving to tire friction, which doesn't necessarily dwindle or dwindle quite as fast as you as you might think. It's not all aerodynamics. That's so. On the other side, I think it all is entirely aerodynamic drag almost um, for on the water. So, which goes down with the, the square of speed. So, when you are, you mentioned two four times potentially range that you could get as you get lower speeds. Which I guess just want to highlight for anyone who drives an electrified vehicle, it's it seems to be drastically bit more important on the water. Um, the, the importance of speed there. And, and then yeah. uh, or go ahead if you want to jump in. I think, I think so. So aerodynamics, less of a factor, hydrodynamics, a major factor, because there's always this significant pull. Um, this is why the whole design was so important that I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, putting a lot of time and effort into looking at a kind of a plane, a, a semi-planing vehicle that will have the ability to not limit in the sense that, that, um, we're going to get no, 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 no pull, but you're going to reduce significantly the standard that you're used to in a boat of this type. Um, you know, had we just, you know, there, there, there are companies that are offering uh, solutions where you can just, uh, you can take a pack and you can change your motor and you can go out tomorrow and for a price um, based on your range requirements and such, you can, you can pay a price, you can get a pack solution, it comes with a throttle and you can pretty much set it up in a day but you are now out on a pontoon boat or your, or your day boat, whatever that may be. And so the hydrodynamics are not configured for the system itself. And so you may not, you may be getting inefficiencies with that particular type of pack solution that won't exist here because we've thought about it in advance. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. And I think sloppy verbiage on my side, what, what I meant to say is fluid dynamics. So aero and, and hydro, which I, so thanks for highlighting that and the importance of, of hull design, because that, that seems to be critical. But maybe, maybe then just quick quick question. What I don't know if you guys publicly say this, but if you do, what's what's the size of the the default battery pack in kilowatt hours for your uh, your boat? Yeah. So no, we we published. Um, we our, our default system is at sixty kilowatts, sixty kilowatt hours. Um, the we can offer up to one hundred and twenty. And what's interesting about the way we've designed the hull is that these packs are are ten kilowatt hour packs. Uh, and they they just get aligned. They can just get uh, assembled and installed yep. within the same hall. And so uh, there there's two components that are important when purchasing a vehicle. Um, the kilowatt output is something that's going to determine the the power of the propeller uh, or the what we, we we traditionally call horsepower, which I find absolutely ridiculous that. You know, I've never seen a horse run on water, and I don't know why we use this method of measurement. But nonetheless, it's it's sort of ingrained in our minds, and we have it as a way of you know. I think this is another thing too is like when we start to look at kilowatt power, 
um, people are going to start talking in new terms, right? So not only is the operation of the device going to be different, but like the terms we use to describe power is going to be different. But for the for the time being, we talk about things in, in the measure of horsepower. So you have to pick a horsepower. And so you have options at this point, which are 75 kilowatts, which produces about 110 horsepower. And, and, and it goes up from there. Um, you, you have a minimum battery pack requirement for that particular power. And so the higher the power, the larger the pack we need because you want to maintain some level of range. Um, but we do have the standard pack at 60 and we offer a 90 and a 120 as well. Gotcha. So, so not ridiculously large, probably worthwhile, likely to get a level two charger if you're looking for quick turnarounds. But if you are one of these people with the use case that you're talking about where you don't need to charge this thing, I mean, if you just even a 110 that you plug it in when you get back would, would probably be good enough. 110 overnight, you're you're going to have, uh, you'll be good. And, that, and that's assuming that you've depleted your battery to 20%, you know, every time you go out, right? And so, but that's another thing that, that comes into play here is we want to focus on high voltage for a sec, if we could, because, you know, there's a lot of efficiency, as you know, with if you the, the higher the voltage system is the more efficiency there is uh, that you, in in that system right so a lot of the boat uh, makers currently uh, are using um, you know anything over 90 volts is considered high voltage in, in the boating space I think right 96 is sort of that break that break where you go from low voltage to high voltage one could argue um, where that where that line lies but you know we're going with a higher voltage system because you get so much more power efficiency out of that. Um, and so with that, it's one of the reasons we were able to extend our range is because rather than going with a lower voltage system that's still considered high voltage, where the efficiencies are lower and you have limits, you can only power certain motors with those outputs. Um, and so a lot of that trial and error on the computation side was looked at going into this. Um, and so where we landed was this efficiency, which will allow for someone to operate their vehicle and you're, you're right, if you charge it at 240 on your dock, marina, home, garage, on the trailer, you'll be charging within a few hours, you know, half a day, uh, which is pretty standard. And then, you know, obviously, if you choose to get a larger battery pack, it'll take longer. Yep. And uh, I have a lot, of, a lot of questions that are probably going to go unanswered here. It's been fun talking and a lot of ground to cover, but... Uh... I want to make sure to talk about where we are in the, the ramp up plan. But one last question, and maybe this is deeper on the technical side than than, than you guys are, uh, want, want to talk about. But you mentioned safety, or high voltage, and we talked about safety earlier. So automotive side, there's this ISO 26262 functional safety standard that we use, which essentially lays the groundwork for high voltage system as well as electronics and um, control systems and such for here's proof that this is a, a safe system and you can certify, although it's not a requirement, you can certify towards this standard. My understanding is there's not something perfectly analogous for the marine space, and there's still work to be done kind of in from a regulatory perspective to define what safety looks like and what uh, the burden of proof that's required from vehicle manufacturers to show that their system is safe to, to operate. Can, can you say anything about how you've, how you've thought about safety, functional safety, and um, as you're getting ready for ramping up planning for potential regulations or whatever might come up? Yeah, absolutely. So really quick answer to that one is sort of a three-pronged answer. The first is we're looking at the standards from the car industry and, and sort of reaching those standards. We're also putting in redundancies uh, when it comes to the design of the compartment spaces that these batteries are contained in. Um, so we're kind of creating like double redundancy in that, in that space. And all those areas are adequately pumped. And there's a lot of the, lot of the controlling units. If there's any indication that there's been a breach, system shut off. So there's a lot of safety mechanisms in place. But you mentioned on the regulatory side. So we opened up a really interesting conversation with the Coast Guard as we uh, applied for our Coast Guard certifications and went through the Homeland Security interview process. And one of the things that they came back to us with was, would we be willing to work with the Coast Guard uh, to create standards uh, where, because they don't have a lot of these people, they don't have a lot of applications in this in this particular space. So we are uh, not officially, but are unofficially working hand in hand. Our, our books are open. We've we've opened up our our um, our standards and said to the Coast Guard, look, look, if there is some kind of design 
architecture that we can help to make your lives easier in the certification process, like use us as a case study. We'll open up our, our, our books and we'll show you what we're working on, how we're looking at safety requirements. And then you can tell us, do you think these are adequate? Are we going too far? And I imagine in most cases, we've probably thought, thought it through too further than even would be required by, by law. But um, we're really open to that process because we understand that it's a new space and, and, and these questions have to be answered. So it's no different than any of the other industries, right? Like it's it's normal now to talk about the practices and the, and the mere fact that you're citing a specific safety code as high voltage systems exist in the automotive industry. It's no different that in, in that, you know, kind of nascent stage when this first came out, they did not exist. And they, you know, companies work painstakingly with municipalities and, and federal government to create those um, mandates, right? And, and those certifications and it's happening now um, very slowly, but it's happening now in aviation as well. And it's going to be, excuse the pun, a very slow moving boat in the marine application because people are just, it's still very, very new in a binary world. This is a new application for electric motors. This is a new application for a lot of the processes that we're going through. And that's part of the excitement plus, you know, brain damage that we're going through in terms of breaking these conversations and engaging with age-old agencies or, or, or just companies in general to help them together, help uh, them, us, the entire industry going forward to create these mandates and these rules and regulations that people can then just easily apply. Yeah, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And I don't know, a lot I could say there, but I definitely want to make sure that we have time to talk about so, um, that kind of the, the, the path forward. So where where is the technology on the uh, are you building mule prototype type things or are you shipping your first product where, where is that and what's the the next stages look like i guess for this pontoon application first but if you then want to expand to the whole company plan uh, however you want to address kind of that what's next question yeah, well, I think it's best to look at the, the near future because that's going to be the most exciting time for people to kind of interact. Um, we've built our entire um, powertrain system, and so that's been that's been working and tested, and and, and that's in one place. Uh, we've built the boat in a different location, and they, these two parts married quite quickly in, in the near future. Um, we will be out touring around the United States in select locations. We have a we have several tiers of activation we're going to be doing later this summer. Um, some's going to be marina-based. So we have some marinas that are very interested in being sort of like commercial clients where they take a small fleet and apply it in certain geographies around the country. So, so we're going to bring our boat there and, and do some activation locally with, with their customer base. Um, we're also doing some public activation where you know we'll be in key locations uh, that we think are important markets for us uh, around the U.S. And, and then we'll be having the, the, the prototypes living in certain locations year round where there's better weather, um, larger boating communities. And so we are um, delivering units to our first customers around this time next year. Um, so uh, we have to look at there, our ability to scale and where that where the realities of, of manufacturing are in this country currently. Mm -hmm. um, we have a tiered approach to this. So we, we have an expectation to deliver a certain number of vehicles in year one, year two, and year three. And uh, along with that is a business strategy for where we are going to. And so ultimately the manufacturing of this becomes segmented to geographical parts of the United States. Um, we're not planning at the moment to ship overseas at the moment, although when we were designing and developing battery systems and looking at safety standards, we were adhering to a lot of the European standards, uh, even though they're not requirements in the US, just to sort of touch that on safety. Um, so, so they'll have that ability to do in the future. But right now, we're really focused on the US market. We're focused about getting this information in front of people and letting people interact and ask questions and take our core uh, customers and deliver deliver valuable product to them by, by this time next year. Yeah, it's, it sounds like an exciting time for you guys. And I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to join. And I, like I mentioned, I'm, uh, I think leaving this, this, uh, 
this conversation with as many uh, questions and excitement to, to dig deeper and follow what you guys are doing. Because I think the what, what you shared is, is super interesting and it's exciting about how the, the company is approaching this, how you guys have put together the strategy and make makes sense to, as uh, not not that I have any expertise in the space or, or whatever, but it's, it's uh, I'd say refreshing to hear how, how you're thinking about the company and, and coming together and uh, and all that type of stuff. So maybe maybe closing question, anything we missed, anything that you were hoping to talk about here, or if not any, uh, anything you're hoping someone listens to this uh, takes away from the conversation? Yeah, I would say that, you know, the biggest thing for us right now is because of the, the, the newness of, you know, this movement, uh, not just our stance, but just in general, regardless of where the price point comes in, regardless of the systems that are being utilized, the adoption, I think, is going to be you know, quite high and it's going to be fast. And so long as the regulatory environment can kind of keep pace and don't does not kind of prohibit any of the, you know, the um, the advancements and such, because it's, it's going to move fast because it has the luxury of being, you know, as I said before, you know, almost the last sector to carry this momentum or carry this movement or adopt these practices. And so, you know, I, I think the soundbite is that, you know, Holobi as a company is going to deliver an incredible boat. It's going to be everything that the consumer and the purchaser of that boat wants and needs. And the broader base stance that we are bringing to the market, which is very, very novel, is goes beyond that um, to be a showcase of, again, new processes, new materials to be able to advocate for the electrification and, you know, removing carbon from the atmosphere and the largest, you know, sector that, that produces it is something that we're pretty jazzed up about. And if we can go forward and talk to a hundred people when only 10 of them are going to buy boats, we'll have accomplished what we're out for. Yeah. I want to draw attention to one disparity, um, we understand that the automotive industry as a whole is not a is not the largest segment of of contribution to carbon um, carbon emissions, right? And there there are other ways to attack these larger challenges. You know, when we talk about carbon capture, there's I mean, there's there's you could we could stay on this podcast for hours and talk about like ways that we could mitigate and and, and make changes, right? Um, but but there is a disparity. Um, in the United States alone, the 15 million registered boats uh, produce just as much carbon as 200 million cars. So, so there is a, there's a really, really gross disparity there, right? Because the, the engine types that are being used for these small recreational vehicles have not been regulated since the 1980s. These four-stroke outboards or inboards are, you know, they, they put out a tremendous per unit load because the automotive industry has made the adaptation for the last 40 years and there's been no adaptation. And so where we position ourselves is to say, let's start with that, right? We're not solving the world's global carbon problems, but what we're doing is we're offering a starting solution in a recreational space because you don't need to take a boat out. You like to take a boat out. And so in this space, let's start to change the power model. And then also let's look at the possibility of potentially creating a laminate schedule for the uh, the architecture of boats is usually fiberglass. These smaller boats are made of form fiberglass, right? The laminate schedule there includes glass and polychemical resins, right? So, so derivatives of the, poly, the petrochemical um, space. We know that there are technologies now that can use organic materials, put a laminate schedule with bioresins that can be put together and separated multiple times over and have a cradle-to-cradle type solution. We know these technologies exist. They've been used and applied in the aerospace industry for many, many years, but there's no supply chain for it. So what I leave you with is that we're going to start with power. We're going to start with this electrification model. What we're really looking towards is to create this new standard bear for the entire industry and look at how can we innovate each part of the boat making process. And in 20 years time or 30 or 40 years time, you know, that entire supply chain, that entire uh, repurposing cycle could look very, very differently. And it could sound very differently to your point. It could be a lot less noise in the marina, right? It could be a lot more space for wildlife and we could be repurposing our boats. Um, and all these recreational activities could have somewhat of a meaningful 
outcome. And, you know, it's, we, we want to focus now on just our customer driven expectations, but long-term, these are our goals. Awesome. I think that's a, that's a good place to leave it. Well, Frank, Evan, like I said, really appreciate you joining. This has been a lot, lot of fun. Excited to see uh, where Halavai goes, goes from here and uh, I wish you the best of luck. Yeah. Thanks thank for having, having us. Appreciate really it. appreciate it. Have a nice day. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Frank Heidinger and Evan Licht. So a few things that stood out to me. The first high level, just the importance of decarbonization in the marine space. And certainly commercial vehicles, but these, these recreational vehicles that we're talking about, pontoon type applications, a, a ton of pollution and energy usage, which there's a tremendous opportunity and something that we need to decarbonize. So Great to see these guys doing work in that space. Another thing that stands out, just the, the, the storytelling aspect overall. So I think the, the way they've come together, the way they're positioning the company, the, the marketing and the, the brand identity and stuff, super interesting to me. And the third thing really, really stands out is the way in which they're approaching this market and coming at it from this mass market approach from this idea of, hey, let's put something on the market that is just a great vehicle and people are going to buy it because it's a great product, not because they're looking for an electric status symbol or a shiny toy or, or whatever. They're just going to buy it because they're looking for something like a pontoon boat or that provides the benefit of owning a pontoon-like boat. And they're trying to position Halavai's boat as the best option for those individuals which also happens to be electric, which from a wide-scale adoption perspective, I believe is critical and is ultimately where we need to go. We'll see. I think there's also, as, as I talked about, merit to the hydrofoil speedboat type type approach. I, I don't think these two things are mutually exclusive, but cool to hear these guys going at it from from this angle because it's, it's the first that I'm really aware of who's, who's playing in that space. So, again, Bill, Appreciate you listening. Fun conversation. Hope you enjoyed this one. Please, uh, yeah, uh, come back next week. I think we got another uh, fun episode. The Future Mobility Podcast is brought to you by FEV. For more than 40 years, FEV has been a global leader in the development of mobility solutions for the transportation industry. With a team of experts passionate about innovation through the design, development, integration, and validation of turnkey vehicle and propulsion system technologies, FEV is your partner for the development of future mobility solutions. I'm your host, Brandon Bartnick. If you want to learn more or get in contact, share feedback or questions, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn at Brandon Bartnick. Thanks for listening.